If you would please open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17 on page 813 in the Pew Bible, or you can look it up in the bulletin or on your pocket device, whatever you do to look at the Bible. But it would be helpful if you have it open in front of you. Uh, Please stand. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking that you would please Uh, Send your spirit powerfully upon us, the same spirit that moved Matthew to record these words. May that same spirit open our ears and hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might truly hear your word, believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, you know you attend a church that 
practice ex- expository preaching when you celebrate changing pages. Uh, uh, it's taken us months to get to page 800, sorry, 813. It's taken us months. Uh, we have, of course, considered Jesus' birth. We've looked uh, at his call to his first disciples. Um, we've read about his temptation in the wilderness. And we've considered the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. This morning, we're going to turn the page and look at what happens next. What happened when Jesus uh, walked off that mountain? He, he was on a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount here for a reason. Uh, he was preaching like Moses preached on a mount. And here Jesus comes down from the mountain and the great crowds that we read about uh, at chapter 5, verse 1, those same crowds uh, we read about again are following him. They're listening to him. They're following him. I just want to remind you of what Jesus had taught on that mountain before he went down. Uh, we saw last Sunday that he talked about humility, a call to humility. He, he gave a call to obedience. Jesus' call to obedience is real. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to the Father. In fact, one of the central themes right through the Sermon on the Mount is the fatherhood of God, which Jesus uh, focused on again and again and again and again. And then finally, a call to decision. Jesus calls those who hear him, those who are in the crowds with him, he calls them to make a decision. And then, chapter 8, verse 1, off he goes. And what he does from chapter 8 through the end of Matthew's gospel is he is living out what he has preached. He is living out what he has taught. He's living that out. And as we go through the next many chapters, we'll see what Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, focuses on. He has his own special, divinely inspired perspective and let's pay close attention. Let's ask the Spirit to open our ears and our hearts and give us grace to hear it and believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. So let's look at uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1 down through verse 17. I've come up with two points with several sub-points. Point one is the Lord heals. It's interesting. That's the first thing that we read about after the Sermon on the Mount. After Jesus has spent time teaching and explaining, calling, he turns and he goes down the hill and he begins to heal. Several healings are recorded in this, uh, this section. I'd like for us to think about each one of them. Each one of them is important. Each one of them is a sermon. They are extremely significant. The first is Jesus healed a leper. This is in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. That's significant. Uh, the Greek word for kneel before him is often translated worshipped. Uh, the idea is that the leper isn't just calling Jesus sir, Lord, 
can sometimes just be a very exalted way of addressing someone. But for a person in uh, Palestine, among the Jews, to come and kneel, to prostrate himself before Jesus, is certainly meant to be an early hint, uh, a, a way for us to figure out what is being explained here. And the very first person after the Sermon on the Mount to do that is, of all people, a leper. Um, you know, the idea of leprosy is a bit foreign to us. Uh, it's not something many of us have experienced with. There is leprosy in the world today. It is a disease. Um, but most of us have very, very little experience of that here in this country. But a leper was a special category of person who was seriously ill. Because in leprosy, you not only have the symptoms of the disease, but the symptoms of the disease are the punishment of the disease. You uh, see the scaly skin. The Greek word here translated leper and leprosy actually is scaliness, scales. That's what leprosy is at its worst. There, there are actually a number of skin diseases that fall under the idea of this skin disease. But at its worst, leprosy, and it, as I say, it exists in the modern world, it's the skin, the, the body decaying. And it's, it's, it's horrible to see. It, it smells bad. It's, it is a, a grotesque thing to observe. And in the Old Testament, leprosy was seen as uh, an, a manifestation in real time of judgment. And it was thought of as incurable. And, and as a matter of fact, it, it was extremely rare for anybody uh, who had this disease to have any claim to being healed or cleansed of it. Uh, in fact, uh, down in verse 4, when this leper is miraculously healed, Jesus uh, actually submits himself to what the Old Testament in Leviticus had to say, and he tells the leper who is miraculously healed to go and show himself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Uh, the gift that was required was a bird. Uh, the priest would examine the person, and if the priest was satisfied that the person had experienced some kind of healing, uh, there would be a sacrifice made. And it was embedded in the law. And so Jesus, who is here very specifically submitting himself to the law, he told this miraculously healed leper to go and to tell the, pri the priests and it was to be a proof to them. A proof to them of what? Well, it was a proof to them that he was healed, uh, the leper had been healed, uh, but also it was a proof to them that Jesus had healed him. And so uh, even though Jesus told him not to tell anybody about it, Jesus was not interested in creating a, a buzz of people who were merely coming to see some sort of physical manifestation of some supernatural power. Jesus wasn't interested in that kind of a sideshow, uh, but he always focused 
on the call that he had, the ministry, the mission that he had, and the trajectory of Matthew's gospel. Jesus did not come to be simply a faith healer, but his healing helps us to understand more about him, and we'll see as we go along what he's teaching us. But Jesus heals this leper. It's a miracle for Jesus to heal a disease which was traditionally thought of as incurable. Jesus healed. Then Matthew turns to a second healing. The Lord healed in verses 5 to 13 uh, the servant of a centurion. Well, like leprosy, (laughs) most of us don't know a whole lot about centurions unless you like to watch old movies. Uh, Centurions pop up now and again in old movies. Uh, A centurion was an officer in the Roman army. Uh, a very significant officer, centurion, hundred, meant the centurion was in charge of a hundred soldiers or so. Some groups were a little larger, some were a little smaller, depending on what the centurion was responsible for, what the job of the centurion was. Uh, Based on that, the number of soldiers entrusted to the centurion might matter. The picture is of this centurion Uh, This centurion had been posted to a very, very difficult part of the world. And no doubt he was a man of great uh, strength and conviction. Imagine uh, some military person in your life, uh, someone uh, that that you've looked up to and respected. And I think that's the kind of person we're, we're meant to see here. The other thing about a centurion was... He would have been a Gentile. He was not Jewish. Now, Mark tells us that this particular centurion was well respected by the Jewish community. He had done uh, kind things for the Jewish community, which was not typical of centurions or anybody in the Roman army. But this particular centurion had the respect of the local community, but he was a Gentile specifically. He was not a member of the Jewish covenant community. That is huge. That is huge. If there's anything more huge than Jesus healing a leper, here Jesus interacts with a Gentile. And in fact, some of the things Jesus is going to say about this Gentile have to be the biggest exclamation points to this point in the story. Just read it along with me. Look at uh, verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, that was uh, a Roman center, uh, as well as uh, an area where there were a lot of Gentiles in Capernaum. A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, there's that word again. Again, just a hint, just a little hint. I'm not saying it's a full-blown understanding of the lordship of Christ, but here's yet another hint Lord, he says, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. This Gentile brought this servant whom he cared about, apparently brings that need to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus was impressed by this centurion. The centurion responds in verse 8. The centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Again, a little hint. Uh, if, if the Sermon on the Mount was teaching about humility, if the Sermon on the Mount was teaching us 
that we're broken and that we're needy and that, that the very beginning of Christian discipleship is, is to understand that, then here, with this Gentile of all people, there's this glimpse of humility, a humility that, that actually exceeds the leper. The leper shows himself to be humble in many ways. But here this centurion actually says, Lord, you're, I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house. You ever felt that way? I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house. It's very humble. It's messed up. It's, it's where I live. <laughs> and it's, it's, it makes me vulnerable. And, and, it, and this centurion humbly knew that he was not worthy for Jesus to come under his roof. And yet, the centurion said, he said, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. It's amazing. The centurion somehow understood that Jesus truly is Lord, that there is a sovereignty, a a power that Jesus has. We're not told how he came to understand this. Perhaps he heard the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps he'd heard the early stories about Jesus. But for whatever reason, this Roman centurion of all people understands the uniqueness of Jesus' power and authority. Specifically authority, because you see, that's, that's what he did. He was a military man. He understood authority. He understood authority. And so he says to Jesus in verse 9, for... I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, uh, this man knew about authority. He knew how it worked. He knew that there were those who had the authority, and they gave orders, and their orders were obeyed. If you want to understand about how military life works, speak to one of our veterans uh, speak to Steve Collinsworth or James Woods. They'll tell you how authority in the military works. And this Roman centurion understood that. And so he, in this second healing story, in the story of Jesus' work that Matthew tells us, it has of all people a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus not only to ask that he heals but with an understanding that Jesus had the same kind of authority that one could understand in the military life, that you get orders and you do them. And this centurion is saying the whole world is like that to you. The diseases are like that to you. It's an amazing thing for him to say. So amazing that it says in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. It's the only time, it's one of two times. The other time is Jesus marvels at the non-belief of those in Nazareth, his hometown. Um, and the other time, the only other time Matthew uses this word is here. Jesus saw this man's faith, his trust that Jesus could heal someone who mattered to this soldier. And Jesus marveled at it. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So the Lord healed a leper, verses 1 to 4. 
The Lord healed a centurion's servant. We read that in uh, verse 13, Jesus did as the centurion had asked and healed his servant. It says in the very end of verse 13, the servant was healed at the very moment Jesus said the word. We're not told exactly where the servant was. Maybe it was across town, maybe it was another part of the world. We're not told, but wherever the servant was, Jesus said the word here, and this servant was miraculously healed there. It's truly amazing. No wonder the Lord marveled that this Roman centurion of all people understood the authority that Jesus had. There's a third healing. It's uh, much shorter Verses 14 and 15, it said, When Jesus entered Peter's house, Peter was from Capernaum. You can visit Capernaum, I'm told, and see what they call Peter's house. It traditionally recognizes this place. Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Just pause for a moment. Let's take in something that that might just slip right past us. Peter had a mother-in-law. That tells us two things about Peter. He was married. And number two, he knew something about patience. Um, I'm married to a mother-in-law. And uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Peter was married and knew about married life. Sometimes I had a conversation just this weekend about the apostles. Did they marry? Yes, Peter got married. And Paul's going to go on to say that Paul could have been married if he wanted to. The other apostles were married, including Peter. So the apostles were married, or at least Peter was, we're told here. And that interesting person of all people is healed by Jesus. We're not actually told that Peter asked Jesus to do it. I'd like to think Peter asked Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. But we're not actually told that. It's just one of those stories, just a line or two long, where Jesus comes in. And does something truly remarkable. He heals this person in Peter's family. And everybody sees it. And then in verse 16, as we get close to the end of the passage, it says, That evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So you can see it it goes from the leper to the centurion's servant to Peter's mother-in-law. In In verse 16, it's really an open-ended statement. The Lord healed. He miraculously, supernaturally healed all who were sick. So what a rip-roaring beginning to chapter 8. What an amazing display of Jesus' healing power. So what is the significance of this? Why are we being told these things? What is Matthew's point? Well, I think he's been very clear, actually. Let me suggest three reasons that this is very significant, that the Lord's healing is very significant. We're going to go on to see other healings. But why does Matthew begin here with the idea of healing? Well, first, there's significance for the physically ill. One of the things Matthew wanted us to know, one of the things the Old Testament wanted us to know, 
was that the Messiah, the Christ, the coming one, would have this power to heal. So Jesus here, at the very beginning of his ministry, as he leaves the mount where he's been teaching, as he, as he begins his path from the mount uh, where he taught the sermon to the mount where he would die, Jesus shows himself to be Lord over sickness and illness and all the things that make us unwell. Jesus had that power. And it's very significant. It's evidence that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. That's important. But the reason it's important that it was in the Old Testament is that it also shows the love and the compassion of the Lord Jesus. He came and he hung around with sick people. He cared about them. As he made his way to the cross, he stopped again and again and again to engage with someone who was physically unwell. Um, I get that. You know, being physically unwell is one of the worst things. It makes it really, really hard. The longer you live, the more likely you are to experience illness. Of course, some people start out their life understanding illness. But if you live long enough, you will experience the kind of thing that we see here in Matthew chapter 8. You will experience physical illness. Perhaps it'll be something you can take medicines and get better. Or perhaps it'll be something chronic that you have to struggle with a long time, like we see in some of the healing stories. We're told some of these illnesses were lifelong. Jesus, the Lord, has sovereign authority over physical illness. I want to draw your attention to the prayer notes. If you look back in the prayer notes on page 11, uh, we prepare these every week, and we've been working on this, the session, and I put together the, this idea of being more proactive about prayer. We want to grow as a praying church. We want to be a church that prays for one another, and we are going to be praying for one another in every aspect. We're going to pray for financial issues and relational issues, and I want you to know we are going to pray about health issues. In fact, one thing we've started this, just this Sunday, if you look at item 18 in the prayer requests on page 11 in the bulletin, you'll see health issues. And there's a list of first names. In the bulletin, we only are going to print first names. Online, we'll list first and last names. But we want to encourage people, not only during the service, but during the week, to pray for those among us who are experiencing physical illness. It matters to the Lord surely it matters to us. We don't go rushing on, pretending it's unimportant. It's very important. And there's really, there's nothing that physically gets our attention more than being physically unwell. And so a little nod to what Matthew is teaching us here is that we're going to lift up, and we want to encourage you, please, to lift up to the Lord those among us who are physically unwell. You'll notice it's just names in that one line. Uh, as we receive specific prayer requests, we'll be more specific.
But we're listing things, names here for people who haven't asked in a while. But we happen to know they need our help. They need our love. They need our prayers. And as we seek to live out the Lord Jesus' call to the church, we will pray for the physically ill because, brothers and sisters, he healed then and he can heal today. Sometimes he uses doctors and nurses and therapies. Those are his gifts to us as well. Sometimes that's the way he chooses to heal. Sometimes he heals by his own divine supernatural intervention. I will raise my hand and say I have seen people healed who the doctors said could not be healed. I've seen it. It is true. The Lord Jesus can heal as he sees fit. And it's with doctors or without doctors. He can do it. But thirdly, the Lord heals all sickness eventually. See, it's just a matter of timing. We get very excited about the healing that, that we get to see and rejoice in. But when any Christian with any disease closes his or her eyes in this life, they will open their eyes fully restored, preparing for the great day when Jesus comes and the body is completely healed as well. But they wake up in the new life of eternity with Jesus and with God wiping away our tears. So the Lord physically healed the physically ill, and there's great significance to that. It helps us know who Jesus is. But also, there's significance for the Gentiles. Uh, the Jews called Gentiles dogs, at least behind their back, um, sometimes in public. They didn't have a high regard for the Romans, and there was a reason for that. The Romans occupied their land. The Romans were just one of successive uh, authorities, empires that had come sweeping in and, and put their people into oppression and submission. And it was em embarrassing and shameful. And the Romans were often not nice to the Jewish people. So there's a reason that the Jews did not like the Romans. But there's also another reason. The, the Gentiles were unclean. They had all these weird things they did. They ate pork. Well, you may not think of that as very weird. But to a Jew, it was, it was violating the law. It was, it was unforgivable. It was something that kept a good Jew from actually developing a close relationship with a Roman, a Gentile. Well, right out of the gate... The second healing we're told about, Jesus encounters a Gentile. And how did Jesus deal with the Gentile? Well, that has great significance if, like me, you have Gentile roots. My ancestors were off worshiping trees and rocks about this time. Yours may have been as well. And I am so grateful that Jesus on his way to Calvary, stopped and interacted with this Roman centurion. And that in God's mercy, this Roman centurion 
By the work of the Spirit, in whatever way the Spirit worked, this centurion gave voice to faith that Jesus recognized, and he was amazed by it, and he heard the prayer of this Gentile. And the second healing we read about in Matthew's Gospel here in chapter 8 and onwards was the healing of a Gentile servant, probably, of a Gentile centurion soldier. That is enormously significant. One of the great concerns of Matthew, Matthew was writing a gospel primarily to Jewish people, people who had Jewish backgrounds. It's not insignificant that the second healing in the gospel of Matthew is a Gentile. I mean, there's, there's hardly anything that could be more eye-opening. There's one thing that could be more eye-opening. We're coming to that. There's hardly anything more eye-opening than a Gentile experiencing what happens here in Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to go on to see how the Lord has a plan for all the nations. So there's great significance for the physically ill There's great significance for the Gentiles. But as I said, uh, those are nothing compared to the third point. Because you see that the ultimate significance of the Lord's healing, the cleansing, is the significance for all who are unclean. Everybody. It's... I think very important that this section concludes with this description of just this crowd of people. We're not really told anything about them. We're just told that that they were brought to Jesus. They were oppressed by demons. You know, that may sound like uh, superstitious uh, ancient world ways of thinking. But if you've ever been sick, you know what they're talking about. It's, it's, it's oppressive. And so they, there were all these people brought to Jesus, pressed. And what did he do? He cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. And then notice in verse 17, at the end of this section, Matthew backs up a bit. And he tells us the significance of Jesus' healing. It's not just for the physically ill. It is for them, but it's not just them. It's for the Gentiles. Gospel truth for the nations. It's true. It's important. But it's not all. The third thing is, begins in verse 17. Matthew says, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He doesn't say there, the physically ill, the Gentiles. Boy, I'm glad Jesus did something about them. They're they're awfully unclean. Lepers. And Romans, they're awful. Boy, do they need God's help. But what Isaiah saw and what Matthew sees and what Jesus sees 
is that all of us, all of us need healing and need cleansing. We are all sinners. We're all broken. We're all in need of Jesus' healing power. And you know what? The leper knows that. The centurion, by God's grace, knew that. But you know what? A lot of us don't. We don't stop to think, wait a minute, Jesus heals me? I'm not sick. I'm not a Gentile. Or I am a Gentile, but I don't feel spiritually ostracized on account of my ethnicity. Many people in the world do. I don't feel that way. But Jesus actually fulfills a prophecy all the way back in the Old Testament. See, this isn't a new plan. Jesus did not come into the world to start something out of nothing. He actually come into the world to fulfill what God had promised and what God had been doing all along. That prophecy is that this person in Isaiah's gospel, a suffering servant, would take all of our illnesses and all of our diseases. He would bear them. He would take them upon himself. He would suffer for them. And that's what Jesus has done for every one of us. One of my favorite uh, contemporary commentators, theological writers, is a a man named Sam Albury. Sam's actually a a friend of mine in Leslie's. Uh, We've known him for years. I visited in his home. He, He actually preached at Tim Keller's funeral, if you're a Tim Keller fan. Sam Albury was the preacher. Well, this is what Sam had to say about a parallel passage in Mark's gospel. Exact same story, I believe. Uh, This is what Sam had to say. This is what Jesus does with the uncleanness of those who come to him as this leper did. Rather than withdrawing in disgust, he draws near and reaches out to us. The, The word in the passage is stretches out. He stretches out. To us. He moved towards us. He moves towards us, not away from us. Jesus knows our brokenness, but He reaches out to us. He stretches out to us in love and mercy to, to heal us and to cleanse us of our uncleanness. And one of the ways he does that is by helping us to know how sinful we are. We don't compare ourselves to other people sitting around. I'm better than this person. I'm better than that other person. I haven't murdered anyone this week, so I must be better than some people. No, the standard Jesus set in the Sermon on the Mount is God. We like it way down here. That's where we put the bar. Jesus puts the bar way up here. And compared to the holiness of God... Brother, sister, you are a sinner, and I am a sinner. I am broken. I am unclean. And Jesus stretches his arms out to us to bring us to himself, to bring about the cleaning, the cleansing that we desperately need. 
Well, that's quite a story. That's, that's the first thing that happens. This, what is it, a day or two? I don't know. It seems like it's one day from the morning when he leaves the mountain to the evening when he's with Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe one day he, in one day, sets the agenda for everything he's going to do. Because on this day, chapter 8, he heals and he uh, bears the transgressions, the illnesses, the diseases. And on the Mount of Calvary, he does it on the cross. It's what he came to do. Well, let's bow our heads and pray that God would draw near to us, that he would help us to be witnesses, that he would help us to be missional in everything we do, that all of it would point towards Christ, our healer and Lord.